Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our fantastic co-host, Dr. Sajan Bakta. Dr. Ugh, I can't even say her names. <sighs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Patil Armenian and Dr. Sajan Bakta. Hello. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about monkeypox. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way. Got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sun rise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path. This is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. So we didn't think we were going to have to talk about another infectious disease outbreak, but here we are. And of course, due to the COVID-19 pandemic over the last two and a half years, we've all become familiar with the concept of infectious diseases. Today, we're going to discuss the latest concerning virus, monkeypox. Although it's called monkeypox due to it being discovered in a colony of monkeys in Africa in 1958, transmission to humans occurs most often from rodents. This virus is not endemic to the United States, which means it doesn't naturally exist in actually all of North America. It is primarily found in Central and Western Africa. Up until 2022, rare cases in the U.S. occurred from returning international travelers or from direct contact with infected, imported animals without any human-to-human transmission reported in the United States. Now, since mid-May 2022, monkeypox cases have been reported in the U.S., and as of August 18, 2022, 14,115 confirmed cases have been reported by the CDC without any deaths in the United States. 2,663 of these cases are in California, and globally over 41,000 cases have been confirmed in this outbreak, with 12 deaths globally. Let's jump to the pathophys. Monkeypox symptoms are similar to smallpox. However, in comparison to smallpox, monkeypox is milder and rarely fatal. It is not part of the varicella family of viruses, which includes chickenpox and shingles. The incubation period is between 3 and 17 days, and the illness itself lasts 2 to 4 weeks. The virus can spread by close, intimate, or skin-to-skin contact. especially direct contact with the monkeypox rash, scabs, or body fluids from a person with monkeypox. Also, oral, anal, and vaginal sex or touching the genitals, such as the penis, testicles, labia, and vagina, or anus of a person with monkeypox, can also be transmitted by touching objects such as fabrics like clothing, bedding, or towels. It can also have spread by contact with respiratory or oral secretions. as well as prolonged face-to-face contact. The second main method is through pregnancy. The virus can spread to the fetus from the placenta. And the third way is being exposed to an infected animal, such as being bitten or scratched by the animal, or also preparing or eating meat from an infected animal. 
We do know a person with monkeypox can spread it to others from the time symptoms start until the rash is fully healed and a fresh layer of skin has formed. This typically lasts two to four weeks. Any patient, regardless of sexual or gender identity, with a rash consistent with monkeypox should be considered for testing. Let's jump to the assessment part. So when assessing a patient, you know, you're going to come upon a scene and they may or may not tell you right up front that they have a rash. But if anyone has a new rash with or without flu-like symptoms, you've got to think of monkeypox. Sometimes the flu-like symptoms will precede the rash. However, at some point, the rash is going to develop. And you really can't diagnose monkeypox without the presence of a rash. Now let's talk about the rash. All the lesions occur at the same time and go through these stages together. So either macular, which is kind of flat, papular, kind of like a bump, like a pimple, vesicular, meaning they have like a clear blister. Then they turn into a pustule. Then they scab over. And then they, we say, desquamate, or basically the skin peels off. So when they're in that stage, they're all going to be in the same stage. They're either all going to be bumps or all going to be vesicles. They're often located on or near the genitals, like the penis, testicles, labia, and vagina, the perineum, or that perirectal area. They may also be in other areas like the hands, feet, chest, face, or mouth, so really anywhere on the body. And they will go through these several stages, including the scab stage, before healing occurs. The lesions are often described by people as painful until the healing phase and they become itchy. The rash can look like other things like secondary syphilis, like herpes, chancroid, varicella zoster, which is also known as shingles. Other symptoms these patients can have are just those kind of flu-like symptoms. So they have fevers and chills. They're going to have swollen lymph nodes. They're going to feel tired. They're going to have body aches, headaches, sore throat, nasal congestion, and cough. So Patil, take us through the management. What do we want our EMS professionals to know about this potential illness? So I think step one for management for these cases is actually going to be protecting yourself. Um, And so firstly, let's talk about pre-hospital personnel PPE. Now, some of these recommendations are from May and June when this outbreak was first uh, being discussed. Um, And at that time, um, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center recommended that EMS personnel strictly adhere to standard contact and airborne precautions. So that includes an N95 mask, a gown, gloves, and eye protection with either a face shield or goggles. Now, we don't have any more updated recommendations. And so these are still the recommendations that we um, are going with. And so you know, definitely if you are going to be assessing someone um, and they're there because, you know, they don't feel so good and they have a rash, uh, we definitely recommend you put on all of this PPE. Now, some of the other recommendations include to separate the driver compartment from the patient compartment if possible, turn the exhaust fan on high in the patient compartment if so equipped, adjust air handling to introduce fresh air in both compartments if possible. The driver should also wear an N95 mask if isolation of driver compartment cannot be verified. To limit the number of personnel making patient contact, uh, use PPE checklists for donning and doffing if possible. Exercise caution when performing aerosol-producing procedures such as endotracheal intubation, airway suctioning, CPAP or BiPAP, CPR, And only perform these procedures if medically necessary and that they cannot be postponed. 
Um, and then, of course, clean and disinfect all surfaces of the ambulance and equipment with an EPA-registered hospital-grade disinfectant. So this is going to be especially important so that uh, that environment is safe for yourself and for the next patient coming after. So let me jump in here for a second. The good news is America's kind of already doing this here at American Ambulance because this is what we've been doing for COVID, right? You already are on your calls and wearing your N95 and eye protection. You already have that exhaust fan on if you think you have a COVID patient you already are using lots of PPE and it's already the rig's getting disinfected. So a lot of this is already happening. I think the only new thing is going to be the gown. And I know early on in COVID in 2020, we had the gowns and we're using them and they're in your PPE bag and your rigs. For those of you listening from outside places, I'm guessing they're in your PPE bags also. But it's something to remember, those gowns are hot. We understand that. But if you have a patient with a rash and flu-like symptoms, I'd put on the gown. The, I guess kind of one of the nice things is in a weird way, we are used to PPE. We've been through this. Um, this disease specifically has such a um, high rate of transmission if you really touch the skin, the lesions, the rash. And so that's why really it's the, the gloves and gowns actually become more important in this specific disease. Now, the other important factor is communication with the people around you, your supervisor, and the receiving facility that you suspect monkeypox. If you highly suspect a case of monkeypox, make sure to notify the base hospital, and your paramedic supervisor can also help you with this process. In order to cover the rash, if possible, use a sheet or blanket. Now, again, inform other first responders and your supervisor if monkeypox is suspected and prevent unprotected exposure to that patient. And then the receiving facility also really needs to know so that they can have a space made available to properly isolate the patient on arrival and that the receiving healthcare personnel are in appropriate PPE when they get this patient. So Patia, like break it down for me. So say I'm in the back of a unit and I'm not wearing the appropriate gear. I didn't wear my N95. I'm only in a surgical mask. I didn't have my eye protection on. And then I find out later I have a monkeypox case. And then what happens differently if I have everything on? I did everything right. Like, so can you go through basically the pre and post exposure? What happens to me on these cases? Basically, the bottom line is if you really have a patient like this and you were not wearing all of that PPE, it is going to be very highly recommended that you then get the vaccine. And we're going to talk about this in detail, but I think that's also the main thing. That's why the receiving facility needs to know. Like, for example, me, if I, as the doctor, accept one of these patients and didn't know, and I didn't have all of my PPE on and I was ready, then I would have to get the vaccine too. The good news, um, and we're going to talk about, is that these are really old vaccines that have been around for a long time. um, And so we know a lot about them. Still, it's still an extra step out of your day to get something done. And let's now, talk about these are essentially essentially like smallpox vaccines, right? Half of our po- patient population or half of our humans in America have already been vaccinated against smallpox. Yeah. So these are the smallpox vaccines because as we described earlier, monkeypox is in the same family as smallpox. They are not in the same family as, for example, chickenpox or shingles. So the varicella zoster vaccine uh, does not work for this. So what will work is the variola vaccines, which are in essence the smallpox vaccines. Now, um, when properly administered before an exposure, the vaccines are very effective at protecting people against monkeypox. Now, vaccination after a monkeypox exposure may also help uh, to prevent the disease or make it less severe. There are two available vaccines out there right now. 
the Genios vaccine and ACAM 2000. They're both slightly different from each other, but in essence, both are um, attenuated virus vaccines that really have been available for a long time, and we are getting more and more doses manufactured and available to healthcare professionals and the public every week. And Patil, what about us as healthcare personnel? We don't know if we're being exposed. Should Is it recommended that we all get the vaccine? So that's a great question. For pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, uh, it's not really recommended at this time for all healthcare personnel. Now, clinical laboratory personnel who actually perform the testing to diagnose these orthopox viruses, including those who are using uh, PCR or polymerase chain reaction assays for diagnosis of orthopox viruses, including monkeypox viruses, are a group of healthcare professionals that do need to get pre-exposure prophylaxis. Others that are recommended um, are research laboratory workers who directly handle cultures or animals contaminated or infected with these orthopox viruses, uh, including monkeypox virus, should definitely um, get pre-exposure prophylaxis. And certain healthcare and public health response team members designated by public health authorities to be vaccinated for preparedness purposes. Now, I will say if a healthcare provider really wants pre-exposure prophylaxis, I believe they can request it locally from our Fresno County Public Health. You know, you can get that if you so desire. Now, the highest risk exposures in which post-exposure prophylaxis is highly recommended um, are really anyone who's had unprotected contact between an exposed individual's broken skin or mucous membranes and the skin lesions or bodily fluids from a patient with monkeypox. So, for example, accidental splashes of the patient's salivas to your eyes or mouth. So what if somebody accidentally sneezes or spits into your eye? That's why we recommend eye protection, for example. Other high-risk exposures are unprotected contact with soiled materials, for example, linens or clothing, uh, being inside a patient's room or within six feet of a patient with monkeypox during any medical procedures that may create aerosols from oral secretions. So that would be CPR or endotracheal intubation or bagging the patient or activities that may resuspend dried exudates. So for example, if you start shaking really soiled linens without wearing an N95 and eye protection, you know, we could get into all the nuances of exposures, but I think the bottom line is, is that moderate to high risk exposures at this time are eligible for post-exposure prophylaxis in Fresno County. And again, by post-exposure prophylaxis, we mean getting one of the two vaccines and if you have any questions at all, definitely, I mean, in any suspected exposures, your supervisor needs to know, um, and then we can go down the appropriate routes to get you the post-exposure prophylaxis that you need. Public health authorities in other counties, Contra Costa County, especially San Francisco area, also have access to uh, pre- and post-exposure prophylaxis. And so reach out to your public health authorities and they can help you schedule an appointment for a vaccine. I like to think about this in EMS. You may or may not know you've been exposed, right? So you're going to wear your PPE. You're going to have your eye protection on, you have your N95 on. 
similar to when you have a meningitis case, right? The hospital's gonna make the diagnosis and then dispatch or reach out to dispatch and contact you. Sometimes 24 hours later and say, hey, you were exposed to this. And that's where I feel like this is gonna come into play. Is you're gonna get the phone call that says, oh, that patient you transported did end up having monkeypox or is high suspicion for monkeypox. Please wear your PPE because then you say, no problem, I already had the PPE on, so I don't need to go get my vaccine. But let's jump to the summary take on points. Patio. Uh, I'll just reiterate what you just said. PPE is here to stay um, and 95 and eye protection for all patients. Um, you know, COVID is still out there, but this will also protect you against monkeypox and any other new viruses that we haven't heard about yet. Sajin, take on points. Suspect monkeypox with any new rashes or fever-like syndrome for anyone who just doesn't feel well. And my take on point is um, really just notify that receiving hospital prior to arrival if you suspect a monkeypox. And then if you've got your sheet, cover it up. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.